Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Well, hello there, Dr. Ross Green here. Welcome to another edition of Helping Behaviorally Challenging Students. I am very glad that you are able to join us today. Um, We're going to have a special guest today, and I'm looking to see if I gave our special guest the right call-in number, and I didn't. Um, So I'm going to email him right now and let him know that I gave him the wrong call-in number. Uh, Hold on. Let me see here. And he's not going to be able to get it through anyways because we have all of our educators panel members on the line with us today. So I'm going to bring you all on. And I know we have Tom and Nina and Carol and Sue. How are you all today? Mm-hmm. We're all here. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Unprecedented. <laughs> here's here's the problem with you all being here. Uh, and no, I'm not going to ask for volunteers. But our <laughs> special guest today, this this um, setup only allows for four callers besides me. And so um, he can't get through, even if I had given him the right number. Um, I gave him the wrong number. Now I'm giving him the right number. Hang on one second. This is uh, my life these days. Hang on. So I will send him this now. But um, does any of you have something that you so badly need to do? Um, in your building that you would like to be excused from today's program. This is me like being like an airline. You know how airlines <laughs> sell more seats for a flight than they standby? think people are going to show up? What's that? <laughs> you well, we want to give you standby. a voucher for a different trip by getting bounced <laughs> off this flight is what we really want to do. Exactly. Um, uh, so we're asking for volunteers to take a voucher. Um, um, to take a different flight. Do any of you want to volunteer for that? I'd be fi- um, I feel like I've been talking a lot. I'd be fine to go and come another time. I'll let Tom and Carol and Sue go ahead. And I'm fine too, Ross. It's it's uh, either way, you know. Um, Nina volunteered first. We're going to let her go. Now, Nina, does your phone number begin with 384 or 865? 384. You have been thrown off the plane. Okay. Oh, no. Pull the cord, Nina. Pull the cord. All right. I will listen. And you can come back here from afar. Maybe one of us will go off. Okay. 
Thank you. Nina, thank you for volunteering. Your your voucher will be at the offices of Lives in the Balance the next time you're here. Perfect. (laughs) Bye. That's awesome. Well, So now who's our special guest, Ross? Our special guest, if he's paying attention to his email, because I just sent the – otherwise we will have bounced a passenger and are still going to have an empty seat. Our special guest is Tim Graves, who is the current co-director but full-time superintendent of schools and programs at the Near North District School Board located roughly in North Bay, Ontario, but in other towns proximal to that. I spoke in North Bay last week um, and met, had dinner with Tim. First of all, North Bay, Ontario is yet, one of, is yet another school system that is um, implementing the CPS model. And um, some schools doing better than others. And Tim and I had a very interesting dinner conversation. And if Tim doesn't get the email, then we'll have this conversation ourselves. But the reason I wanted him to come on is because he's familiar with schools in his school district that are implementing the model and wanted to, and those that wanted to but are not implementing the model as well. And we had a discussion about the schools that seem to be able to do it and the schools that seem to be unable to do it. And he had some very different, very interesting ideas about that. Um, but he, he apparently isn't paying real close attention to his email right now and called the number I gave him and is probably sitting there waiting for us to um, come on the air. So he's probably wondering what went wrong. Um, but that's okay. We can talk about it and hope that he gets his email. The thing is... Yeah. The reason I wanted Tim to come on, and worst case scenario, we have him at the beginning of the next year um, due to my screw-up. The the reason I wanted Tim to come on instead of just our educators panel is you all have experienced success of implementation in your buildings, and some of you have been in different buildings. He's familiar with schools that are in his district that have wanted to and have done it, and also those that have wanted to and haven't. But let's open the discussion among the rest of us, and um, let's see where it goes, and I'll see if I can get a hold of Tim um, or have Sheila, our associate director, get a hold of Tim and see if we can get him on the line. But let's start. What are your thoughts about the schools that are able to do this when they want to and those that are not able to do this when they want to? Well, I know in my building and in Surrey, um, I believe that one of the reasons is because we give them time. We give the, the teachers release time. So I know that my teachers have said a great deal about having that opportunity to do it during the school day and having their classes covered rather than staying after school or doing it in the morning be- before school begins. So I know that that's a really big draw for us at this school. Uh, I don't know what it's like at other schools in Surrey. So I, I know that's a really big deal for us here. I, we're we're um, an inner city school, so we're super busy throughout the day. 
um, jumping from uh, like crisis to crisis. So it's nice to get that time to actually work with a child one-on-one during the day. And I can speak to also in the same district, um, not having that same level of support available. Like I know Susan has an incredible counselor who's basically, you know, meeting with teachers, helping them, uh, coaching them with the model, but also being the one um, and with some other staff providing the time for the teachers to do that, to, to meet. And um, without that, it's really hard because it then falls generally to just one or two people, myself as the principal or, say, a child care worker, um, you know, who are, I don't want to say we're unreliable, but, you know, when things pop up, sometimes you may have planned to meet with a, a teacher or, or to support a teacher and then something else pops up and it, it gets pushed aside. So having that dedicated time, just like with any, um, you know, initiative where you're hoping that people will collaborate on something um, is really, really important. It makes a huge difference. And I know we just did an also with a teacher last week. Um, my child care worker did it with her and she was, of course, theorizing and hypothesizing, and it and it took a few uh, reminders not to do that, and how difficult that is starting off with somebody new, and it just it the coaching makes a huge difference having somebody helping you along with the ALSEP, and we usually have two people in there: our child our child care worker and Ron, our counselor. So it just makes it so doable for the teachers, which is great. So here's the good news. I think Mr. Graves is now on the line with us. Tim, are you there? Oh, great. Hello, how are you? Tim, I Good. apologize. Hi, um, how I got that number, I have no <laughs> earthly idea. But I would like to introduce you to our panel here. We've nuked one, we've nixed one of them because somebody had to give up their seat so this plane could leave the gate. And um, one of our panel members graciously agreed to take a voucher for a later flight um, so that we could fit you in because this this arrangement only permits five callers and I'm one of them. So you're on with Tom Ambrose, who is a principal in Maine, Carol Davison, who is a principal in British Columbia, and Sue McQuaig, who is a building principal in British Columbia. And I have already introduced you to them. Um, and told them that you and I had a very interesting conversation over dinner, that you're with the Near North District School Board, and that you had some knowledge of schools that, within your district that have been trying to implement the CPS model. And by the way, on this program, if you say collaborative problem solving, as Tom so frequently does, um, you, you get, get thrown buzzed. off the plane. Uh, you get oh, thrown no. off the plane. The emergency collaborative and proactive gets solutions. Correct. Right. Collaborative and proactive solutions. You can always say CPS, but um, if you would share your thoughts with us, because this is a this is a this is a very talented group you're on the line with here. These are thinkers and learners. Um, if you can recap your thoughts that I heard over dinner um, the other night. Um, about buildings and the characteristics of buildings that seem to be able to implement this and those that struggle with it more. Um, wait till you hear what these people are going to weigh in. Tell us what you and I were talking about. I think what we were talking about was the notion of is, is the culture within your school one of thinking or, or one of just doing? We, 
we have, when we've been looking at our student achievement and well-being agenda for, for quite some time and, and struggling with, I think, what most systems and principals struggle with is it's a great idea, but we're struggling with the implementation and what are the characteristics that need to be in place for the implementation. Um, so, so we looked carefully at, at those and, and how, where things were successful and where things weren't, and we came up with the notion that uh, we need to have really, before we worry about real implementation, we need to make sure that we have what we're calling in our system as a professional culture, and we're talking about a culture where people are, are thinkers, where they're learners and they're doers. And we looked at a lot of our um, professional learning communities, and, and I know that that's also in the book, in the discussion around that. And, and I think we had to be honest with ourselves that our professional learning communities, and I think the same would be true across our province anyway, are often just sneakier ways to do plan A, a kinder, mm -hmm. gentler plan A. Um, and, and what we have found is plan A really just doesn't work with high-achieving, hard-working, highly-skilled professionals. Um, so, so we did. We thought we had a culture of just doing. What's the next thing on the list? Let's do it. What that leads to is it leads to us failing to really think through uh, all of the details, and, and it's more about getting it done than it is asking ourselves the deep questions that are causing us reflection, how and when and why in each particular school. So we know we have one school. We have 14 schools uh, on this journey right now, we are, we're a school board of just under, or just over 30 elementary schools, and we have 14 elementary schools on various steps of this journey. But our, our biggest success has been where a, you have a principal that has already been working hard on developing that culture, um, where, you know, a, a culture that looks a little bit like Plan B for for a wide variety of of initiatives in the school. Um, we know that that the principal. Ha really did more than read the book. They, they did some advanced training. We also have uh, a couple of system level people who are, who are doing a certification training at the same time. Um, and they really relied on each other. They sort of went, went at this process with a co, started with uh, a, a small group of the willing, and really started working with our, our frequent flyers first, the, the, the most difficult, uh, the, challenge, the kids with the most challenging behavior. And, and it seemed to gain traction immediately. Um, the other thing that we have noticed is that if, if you don't keep it on, if you don't keep the conversation on the table all the time, it falls off pretty quickly. So that, that's you know the, the short version. All right. So I was thinking that our principals here would have some interesting thoughts about this learners versus doers concept. I think it's very interesting, to tell you the truth. Um, and I was imagining that, and nothing against Carol or Susan, who always have thoughts on lots of things, but I can imagine Tom chewing on this right now and thinking about what he learns when he goes off to Columbia University to their things they put on for educators. And I was thinking that the honorary American on this program today, Tom, might have some interesting <laughs> thoughts about this. Um, Tom, I can hear you chewing on this over the phone line. Um, <laughs> let's, let's start with you. Well, you know me too well, Ross. I think, I think that's, you know, this, the, the, I think it, the first thing is that, that um, thinking about, uh, uh, is it Dr. Graves or Mr. Graves? I'm sorry. 
Tim's fine. <laughs> oh, Tim. Okay. So, so Tim had a really good point that that there's there is an inherent shift in culture from from uh, from doing or just kind of meeting in PLCs, which have kind of, it's kind of become a catchword phrase for any kind of meeting that goes on, a professional learning community. But a, a true professional learning community is actually designed around what, what I talk to staff about, uh, two things. One is um, adaptive change versus technical change. So technical change is kind of like the, the, the to-do list that Tim was talking about. You know, These are some technical things that we need to do to if we want to implement the Teachers College Reading and Writers Workshop, we need to teach many lessons and use these units of studies. Um, and we need to have you know, students follow the structure, which is a mini lesson, and then they read independently and work with partners. That's like the to-do list stuff that needs to happen. Or on a, on a lower level, the to-do list stuff is, OK, when's our field trip? What time is our, our um, assembly? Those are to-do list things, too, that have absolutely nothing to do with the professional learning community. And when you start to examine adaptive change, that's when you start to look at student work, student behavior, and what you're going to do about them and work as a team in an area that, frankly, you don't know the answer to. So the definition of adaptive change would be the gray area. And so when, when I'm working with staff, I'm constantly asking them, what, what, what are your students doing? What do you want them to know and be able to do at the end of this unit? Where are they now, and how are we going to get them there using the things that we have available? That could be um, anything from strategy groups to partner work to contacting parents to help them work with their reading or writing or math. Could be using, um, um, call myself, using Plan B or, or collaborative and proactive solutions. It could be um, um, just having them spend some time with the teacher eating lunch and talking about how things are going in a non-punitive way. I think that the, the, the real work of any PLC is more, can only happen when there's a culture ultimately of trust that each person can reveal their weaknesses so that their colleagues can support them in developing the strengths. And a lot of people don't like to use the medical model for this conversation, but the reality is that if a doctor is treating a patient and the patient's not getting better, what's the first thing a good doctor does? They call some colleagues and have them take a look at it. And then they talk about the treatment plan and they make adjustments and get other perspectives. Um, and so that's exactly what great teachers do. They, they have a kid that isn't moving in the direction that they want them to, and they're not afraid to reach out to their colleagues because there's a good team culture. So spending that time to develop that team culture is critical to the development of, of the success of any, any organization, really, let alone a school. I couldn't Carol? agree with, with, with you more. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Tim. Sorry. Go ahead. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I think we have, um, we have spent a lot of time talking about um, informed prescription versus real collaborative inquiry and the open to yeah. learning stance that we need to encourage our leaders and our educators um, take when we, when we go at these sorts of meetings or when we go at um, our PLCs. Because the truth of the matter is, if we knew the answer already, we would have implemented the solution. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. If you didn't know the answer, we wouldn't be meeting. Or if we knew the answer, why would we need to meet? Mm -hmm. Agreed. Great point, Tim. Mm -hmm. So how does that fit into the learners versus doers paradigm? I'm, maybe I'm the slow one here. Well, I think um, 
we have often, I, I think we as a system have often had the expectation that, that, that the teachers were doers, right? I mean, and, and that, that should be doers. And all we need to do, because we at the center are so learned and knowledgeable, is tell them what to do, it, what to do, and they will do it. Um, and, and, and we've looked at um, sometimes our, either our system or, or our people, maybe not even intentionally, for, with a deficit stance as opposed to an asset stance, right? And, and instead of saying, you know, all of our professionals are working really hard and are well-intentioned, but for some reason we can't seem to have the deeper conversations that, that we have. And why is that? And, and I think if we were to really look carefully, it's because we've asked them or we've created structures in which – they get told what to do, and their job is to implement, not really question why. Or, Tim, can I ask a clarifying question? Sure. When you say not really question why, do you mean maybe – I just wanted to understand why you would do like, – so I'm thinking through the lens of implementing instructional practices or yeah. collaborative and proactive solutions. If you're, if you're implementing something, I think having a, a, a conversation about why you would be implementing it would be critical to get the buy-in component, but then, but then there's another level of once we've kind of moved through the why, going to, okay, this is, this is what we're, we're going to move forward with, and then it gets more into the gray of how to do it effectively. Is that a, just a subtle difference? Am I just kind of, or I was trying to just go a little deeper into that. Yeah. No, I, I think you're, you're thinking uh, in line with mine here. I, I think really it, it's about, you know, you think of it, are we coming to the table with our educators with the solution in mind already, or are we coming right. with the problem, and are we giving them a voice in solving the problem? So you might think of uh, a board or a system improvement plan that names one particular thing. Well, do all schools have to do that one particular thing? What about the school that's already good at that? And, right. and sometimes we've written these grandiose plans where everybody has to do something regardless of their data. And, and I think, you know, coming to the table with the solution already in hand is, is, is something that we're trying not to do in, in the collaborative and proactive solutions model, and, and we ought not to do that for any implementation. Well, you know, I kind of have a term for that type of leadership, or, or I, you call it uh, – um, the, um, it's, it's like when you differentiate for your students, you're using differentiated leadership and differentiated professional development. So when we have professional development, I keep advocating for let's have a professional development day where there are six different like stations or hour and a half, and teachers can choose to go to three of the six based on their specific needs and their data. Absolutely. I think it's interesting that the one-size-fits-all workshop is just an explosion of this idea that you're discussing. So why would I ask somebody who's really good at, at the empathy step in a Plan B conversation? I, they don't need to go to more training on that. Maybe they need to go to the, to the training on the part about filling out the ALSA effectively, or they need to go to a part of the training that, that meets their needs based on what, what they're experiencing in the classroom. You know, it, I, it, nothing bothers me more than to see a teacher sit through a management training for the whole building when they have incredible management. Exactly. And, 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 then, and to take it a step further, perhaps, let's take that professional development, those resources, and move them into the school and, and see how we can make it job embedded. Uh, I think from our approach, we get far more for our professional development dollars if we work in the schools with the teachers on their time frame, on their particular challenges of practice, um, rather than pulling them out on, on a particular day. Yeah, I would agree. And, and I think that goes back to, we had one last point, Ross, and then I'll I think Tim and I could probably get together and have dinner or something myself, but 
I, Tim, I, I couldn't agree more, and I think that the, the, the key to that piece with, with learning collaborative and proactive solutions started to happen for me more when a teacher would bring a recording of a conversation to a staff meeting and let the staff listen to it and then take feedback from the staff. Mm. That really shows, A, that the culture is super healthy, that the, the yeah. person has courage, they trust their colleagues, but the colleagues were really great about the feedback and, and were more interested in applauding the fact that the teacher was willing to play the conversation almost at first than going into the feedback. So there's that subtle piece of first getting people to put themselves out there to get the feedback, but then there's the next piece of, of getting to the, the real feedback that could help the person grow where the real risk-taking happens. And when professional development is embedded in a building, that culture grows very quickly. So when we have a math strategist come and do a lesson in front of 10 teachers with a real class, and then they have a question and answer session, the, the, it goes from theory to practice. Well, it's the same thing with this process of, of, of learning how to do this model. If you have a teacher who's willing to, to work with a child and let other people hear it and see it and be with it, then it becomes, um, it becomes real to everybody in the room instead of just this theory of, okay, you listen and then you share your concern and then, then you do this, then you do that, right? It's that part that you were saying about the doing versus learning. Yeah, and I think it's so important that um, the formal leaders in the building, whether they're team leads or department heads or, or the principals, um, participate as co-learners, right? We, instead of right. our leaders being our lead knowers, we have to help them become lead learners. And, and you know, and, and Robinson um, did some work around the five domains of effective instructional leadership and participating and promoting professional development with teachers is by far and away the most important thing you can do. I agree with you 100%. Well, let's see if Susan and uh, Carol agree with you guys 100%. I have a feeling they will because we tend to think alike on this program. But um, <laughs> Susan, Carol, you want to <laughs> I knew well, that I um, Tim would not I, be saying anything that anybody was outraged about, but go ahead. I certainly agree with all those points. It makes a, a great deal of sense. And, yes, I know Carol is involved, and I am certainly involved with the you know, professional development around uh, CPS, and I promote it all the time on staff. I work with the students. I do the LSATs. I'm totally involved. But ours is slightly different than what it sounds like in both of your schools. This isn't mandated in my school. Like, it's not, it's not something that we have the right to do here in British Columbia, that this would be a professional development like math or something else where, where we have to, um, where everyone has to participate. So, for example, on my staff, we started with a very small group of people who were interested, and that was... The interest was gained from me doing professional development in the summer where I brought up the Lives in the Balance uh, website. We talked about it. I gave out the books to everyone. And so it was those people who then started coming to me. And it only started with like three teachers who were interested in getting involved. You know, at first it was because of their own children at home and that they saw the difference it was making with their own children. So our group has grown really slowly. And after three years, like we're in our third year now, we have 12 teachers out of, I think we have 25 teachers on staff, 24 teachers on staff that are fully engaged in CPS. Like they will come and say, hey, I want to have a CPS meeting or I want to have a CPS conversation or I want to do the LSEP on this child, and we help facilitate that. So it's slightly different because we still have teachers who haven't done the paradigm shift uh, that, you know, viewing student behavior as developmental rather than manipulative. Like we 
I, we still have teachers who are saying oh, they're yeah. doing this because they're trying to manipulate. They're, they're doing this because they're they just want my attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're trying to get their own way or they're not getting the attention at home and this is how they're getting it here. So we're, we're working with that and the way we're, t- we're trying to filter it through the school is by having our teachers talk about the successes that they're having and hopefully other people will buy in. But it's, it's a slow process. It's a good process. Like I love CPS and I think it is amazing. And we've actually... You know, I'm, I'm looking up different studies right now because, as Ross knows, we've got the mayor coming in on, on May 23rd to talk about this. And I'm, I'm going to shift the conversation just slightly. I've been reading the Swedish um, sort of research that they've done. I, I believe that you were involved in that, Ross, Ross. in the one where, where they are using um, – I'm just trying to think what they were using, the data that they got from the SNAP4 can you talk I think about the SNAP4? There's only one Swedish study that's been published. So if it's the one off the website, it, that's an outpatient yep. study, though, not a school study. Okay, so this was a study with 6 to 13-year-olds who were, well, um, maybe it's not with you, but it, it, comes, it says, you know, the collaborative problem solving, and it mentions you in it, but maybe it isn't you. No, I, I think I probably am, I'm probably familiar with it. So do you know anything about the SNAP? Like is that like we're going to be asked? I know we are on how we're going to assess our achievement in this area, the positiveness of it. And I'm just wondering um, what you would suggest. I know we've used functional assessment. I've looked at the BASC. I really like the BASC, and the SNAP. I'm not. I'm not really familiar with. Um, the SNAP have, is a, a. The SNAP is an instrument that focuses exclusively on the symptoms of ADHD. At least right. the last. SNAP that I was familiar with. It's by Jim Swanson, who's a colleague yep. out in California. Um, and I, the, the big question is, what is, it, what is it that you want to measure? What is it that you think is going to change as a function of implementing CPS? And um, so the, the big question is, do you think that by implementing CPS that will cause uh, may, cause uh, symptoms of ADHD, and that's all it focuses on, to move in one direction or another. There are other scales yes no. out there, like the Connors, that focuses not only on ADHD, but also on symptoms of oppositional defiant disorder. Um, and we use the Connors. What's that? We use the Connors. I'm just looking for something that gives more for the emotional, behavioral, whereas the Connors really isn't in, in, into both of those domains. So that's no, why I'm and, looking and, at the Basque. Well, and it depends on the, the Basque would give you even a broader of a look. The SNAP is ADHD only. The Connors is ADHD and ODD. And the Basque is a much more broad spectrum checklist. Okay. Um, here's the only thing, and this is, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. Those, those instruments focus, and I've, this has always been my concern about them, they focus on behavior. Mm-hmm. The assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems focuses on lagging skills mm-hmm. and unsolved problems, which I would expect to be more directly affected by implementing CPS, because CPS really isn't focused on behavior. We expect behavior to be impacted 
significantly but also indirectly by solving the problems that are causing those behaviors. And so right. if you're asking me which would provide a more direct uh, assessment or evaluation of mm-hmm. the things that we would expect to be affected most directly by implementing CPS, it would be mm-hmm. something looking at the unsolved problems and lagging skills that CPS addresses directly. Would it be bad to have a behavior checklist along with it just to show for those who are primarily interested in behavior that behavior is also affected? Sure, I've used behavior checklists in all of my studies. And um, as long as we recognize that there are some interventions that focus on behavior, and that's what they're trying to change. CPS has a more indirect, though significant, Mm -hmm. effect on behavior, but it, what it directly affects is lagging skills and unsolved problems, if that makes sense. It does make a great deal of sense. It's, it's just that um, when we're looking up to senior management and they're asking, how is this making a difference, I can talk about the unsolved problems and lagging skills and all of that, but unless it coincides or has some recognition through an assessment tool that people are familiar with, it's, it's more difficult to talk about the positive changes that we're having because they're yes. looking for a score. And, and just that, recognize, that's where I'm kind of at. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the only other thing is some of the most powerful data you may be collecting already, and that's data on discipline referrals, suspension, detention. Yes. Um, that's pretty powerful stuff that you may not find in a behavior checklist per se, um, but you may, but may be the most powerful data that you could be collecting. But we can certainly talk about that offline at any point along the way if you want, because there's probably more ideas yeah. on that. But I also want to give Carol a chance to weigh in on yes. this uh, thinkers versus doers thing. Well, I think I fall into this trap myself sometimes because I consider myself a pretty deep thinker, but where it gets tied up is, you know, how do you then actually translate that thought and that intention into action? And what I find um, different, as has already mentioned a little bit here, is that um, we, you know, the culture of collaborative inquiry is just beginning to to become embedded in our teacher union's um, approach to professional development, although there is still a lot of sit and get offered, which is a bit of a, I don't say hypocrisy, but definitely uh, a contradiction in, in what's, what we know about what's um, best practice in adult learning and in professional development for teachers and what is actually happening. Um, and also in our school improvement plans, our plans are actually in Surrey um, shifting to become based in inquiry questions. So there is some shift now. What I've what I've been struggling with. I was actually in Ontario last week for a three-day seminar on um, response to intervention, and what I hadn't realized was, in terms of intervention, this, this type of intervention in general, is that that foundation in I mean, I'll call it a PLC culture, for lack of a better term, but that openness to um, meeting with professionals and actually looking at your student data, whatever form it may take. Um, and analyzing that as a group and coming up with some plans as a group on how to do better um, isn't very embedded in a lot of our schools. 
Um, so I heard I heard people from Saskatchewan and Ontario and from the states, you know, talking about their PLC meetings, PLC, and that's a piece that I feel um, I really need to try and strengthen. I probably wouldn't use the PLC language because in BC it's got some history, but definitely working on that. I think you know tying it in through collaborative inquiry and saying you know if we are working in collaboration with one, one another and we are asking questions, then we need to not just say you know how. How can we change our technical practices, you were saying, Tim, or technical, or maybe it was Tom, the, the technical change um, and actually making it more of a philosophical, cultural change. Yeah, or an adaptive change, yeah. An adaptive change, an adaptive, yeah. So yeah. What, we, what I think where I'm, I'm just scratching the surface in terms of looking at collaborative uh, projects between staff members, and I think, you know, the, trust, the development of trust is, it's, it takes time, and it takes, but it takes nurturing. And I think, as as you said, if you don't keep it live, keep that conversation live on the table all the time, um, it does fall back out of out of the the front of people's minds, and um, it's much easier for initiatives to die a slow and uh, ignominious death by just being ignored if you don't keep it up there. I was, I have a quick question for. Uh, the two gentlemen out there in your schools or in your district. There are actually three gentlemen on this program. <laughs> one is just facilitating, but keep going. Gentlemen, I'm sorry. Two that are, you know, directly involved with schools. Um, the do you uh, are you mandated to do professional development at all staff meetings? Uh, no, but we do nothing but PD during PL. Well, we don't use PLCs for PD per se, but I've made it uh, in my building clear that that. As long as we are working toward our goals as a building, we can. We, our our staff meetings are designed to be PD for, from my leadership, but th but that's done through support so that the meetings don't get absorbed into when is the field trip, what's going on Friday. Um, so so that's a conscious decision on my part. It's not a district mandate. And then the PLCs, they have more flexibility to talk about student work or their goals or whatever they're working on with the students. But I'm, I check in. I go to, see, I only have three grade teams in this building, but I go to a lot of PLCs to make sure that that time is spent discussing students. Mm -hmm. I think from our perspective, um, we have asked our principals to focus mainly on professional development in, in, the, in the staff meetings. Yeah. Now, there's no police of that, and there's no accounting for how much time did you spend, but that's, that's certainly the focus. That's interesting because here um, the focus tends to be more on managerial. I know that there are some principals who get in and do some professional development at the beginning of a staff meeting, but it doesn't take very much time. Um, it's not the focus of a staff meeting. The focus is more, would you agree, Carol, is more managerial? Yeah, it's more let's discuss these upcoming events. Let's talk about, yeah. you know, how we're going to be doing our sports day or, you know, these up, you know, Earth Month or, you know, it's those things that you don't get a chance to, to talk about. We get, and I don't know the frequency and duration of your staff meetings, but ours are once per month for about an hour and 15 minutes, mm -hmm. um, maybe two, yep. you know, maybe an hour and a half. So, you know, the amount of time that we have with our staff is often really limited because we don't have the other functions of, like, the PLCs and, and release time um, grade-level meetings, and we don't have those other avenues to, to meet with our staff. I, I think um, it's, it's really difficult 
um, because, you know, as we move towards this model, we're changing the rules for our leaders. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think we need to be really, really careful to make sure that our leaders have an opportunity to be members of a professional learning community before we ask them to be lead facilitators in professional learning communities. So my question would be, do your principals have an opportunity? Is there a structured uh, learning network for, for just for principals? Yes, we, we actually have a professional learning community where we meet uh, once a month for an hour and a half. And what happens is every month a different principal facilitates so that they can practice and see how other people facilitate and learn skills. That's fantastic. That's pretty it's cool, fun. Tom. <laughs> we, we asked for it as a group. Our, our, we have a really good team, our leadership team in this district. The, the principals are very collegial and collaborative. And we actually went on a retreat, four of us, last summer and came back and presented a plan that was readily accepted by the superintendent and the other leaders for ways that we could build in collaboration and have more productive meetings. Right. And, and so know, can I think I just that's add, the problem. No. Sorry, go ahead. Sure, go ahead. Okay, well, I was going to just say, um, you know, I know with a, with a teacher-based PLC, they look at, at data and information. What, what do you bring to the table for your administrator PLCs? Yeah. yeah. Tim, did, did, have we answered your questions to help you? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, just didn't kind of, you know, we've been going. I think we all got excited by your ideas. I know I did. Yeah. No, if, if I could, I, I think the the question, and I wasn't sure whether it was Carol or Sue who raised it, about what is the content of principal learning networks or, or leadership PLCs, mm-hmm. um, if, if I caught that correct yes. uh, question correctly. Yes. And, you know, we've, we've looked at um, some work by uh, Stephen Katz and Lisa Dack that, that asked that very question. And we've been trying to do principal learning networks for about eight years, and it hasn't been until this year where we've really felt like we've done a good job with them. And the mistake that we have been making is we get leaders together to talk, and they've been talking about teaching challenge of practices as opposed to leadership challenges of practice. Uh And those are two very different things. It's very easy to talk about. I could share what my one of my really great teachers is doing and you, with you, and you can take that back, and one of your really great teachers can start doing that, but that yeah. really won't get us anywhere. Are we, are we really talking about the leadership skills or the facilitation skills or those challenges that leaders face on a day-to-day basis in building culture? That, that's what ours are focusing on. And like I said, after eight years, this is the first year we've got there, but um, Katz and Dak work called Intentional Interruption has really helped us with that. Yeah. Hey, Tim, can I piggyback off that real quickly and just say one thing that we implemented to help that culture is we started in my building doing learning walks. So I'll teach kindergarten or first grade or second grade, and then the guidance counselor will teach a class, and then the, the, um, we'll grab someone else to teach a class, and then three or four teachers will go with the literacy coach with a checklist and go and walk through four other teachers' classrooms to see the teaching and learning. And then they talk about it. And it's been amazing, the difference it's made in the collaborative culture. The one thing I've not heard a single uh, – they were terrified at first, but once we got it up and running, the, the comments from people um, were they couldn't believe all the amazing things that were going on in the school, and they couldn't believe the positive feedback that they got back from their colleagues after having them walk through. So everyone has been a walker, a visitor. And everyone's been a host classroom now at this point in the year. And now the, the feedback is, can't wait to do it again. And I'd actually been wondering, how could we do that for collaborative and proactive solutions? How could we have learning walks for collaborative? And, I mean, it's just a, 
I have some ideas, but anyway, Ross, that might be another another day. I love it. Um, I love listening to you guys talk. We have this is always such a rich program, and Tim, you have um, added to the mix. We have about a uh, minute left. Anybody have any final thoughts on learners versus doers or anything else that we've talked about today? I'm just wondering if you would, if Tim would be okay with sharing his contact information with us through your email, Ross, so that we can maybe follow up if we have other questions or. I will email all of you with Tim's email and phone number. <laughs> That's fantastic. I want to thank um, everyone for the information today. I've, I'm, I've actually been taking notes on different, you know, books and things, and I'm, I'm. Yeah, I just want to thank you for doing that. It, it it's kind of opens our eyes to kind of get stuck in, in one thing, and it's neat to, like this intentional interruption. I think that's um, mm. something I'm going to definitely go out and research. That's good. Mm. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. Tim. I, I really appreciate you being on today. I am apologizing once again for the screw-up on the phone number, but otherwise we could have had an additional 10 minutes with you. But um, I think this has been very informative, at least for me, and I knew that our group of uh, principals here would love chatting with you, so I appreciate you coming on, and I hope you'll do it again maybe in the fall if um, if we can have you back. I'd love to. You know where to find me. Thanks for the opportunity. I know where to find you, and uh, don't rely on me for the phone number next time, right? <laughs> <laughs> this um, is our final um uh, helping Behaviorally Challenging Students program until September. So thanks to our educators panel for participating during this broadcast year. We'll be back again next year. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Have a great summer, everybody. Thank you. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.